Father, we thank you, Lord, for this another day, a day that we've never seen before. And we, by a volitional act of the will, are glad and we will rejoice in it. We confess our sin. Pray, Lord God, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we might be a vessel under honor fit for the master's use. Thank you for this preaching moment. I ask, Lord, that you would breathe on us afresh and anew, that I might decrease so you can increase. In the matchless, magnanimous name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the true and the living God, we do pray. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. One more time for the Holy Ghost. Amen. amen. Certainly give honor to God and to Dr. Paige Patterson, my brother from another mother but the same father. To all the pastor, preacher, professors, and all of my father's children, it's good to be here. I'm excited and delighted to have this opportunity to articulate the agenda of the Almighty to proclaim the powerful posture of the Prince of Peace. Meet me in the Gospel of Matthew, familiar landscape, uh, these verses have been bubbling and bursting to be broadcast from my bosom. They've been hollering at me all week, say, please, preacher, say a word about me. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I want to preach this morning from the subject, it's time to get back to the basics. It's time to get back to the basics. Beloved, we're living in perilous, dangerous times. I dare say even days of apostasy. There's a great falling away from the faith. It's likened unto the period of the judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. They're calling good evil. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.20, an evil good, putting light for darkness and darkness for light. It's, it's a day, beloved, like Matthew 24.12 says, when iniquity shall abound when sin runs rampant, when lawlessness and wickedness abounds and is the law of the day, the love of many. I'm glad he said many and not all 
shall wax cold. The problem today, beloved, is we've lost our awe. We've lost our reverence, our fear of God. Not that we're terrorized of him, but that we have respect for him. Kind of like when my mama spoke, we all listened. When God speaks, we just ought to listen. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The only way we'll know, have skill for living or know what to do, when to do, why to do, how to do, is if we reverence and respect Almighty God. Beloved, we've forgotten that the way of a transgressor is hard. We've forgotten that uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 12 say that uh, he chastens every son, scourges every son, that God, um, as my grandmom does, used to say, does not like ugly, and he's not too particular about pretty. We live in a day where preachers are afraid to call sin, sin. We don't call sin, sin anymore, even though we're promised the assurance of forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, if we homo legeo our sin, if we call it what God calls it, he is faithful and he's just not only to forgive us, but his blood continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In other words, beloved, if you mess up, just fess up and then you can move on. I want to have a witness here this morning. It's a day, beloved, where churches are either dying or plateauing, filled with unregenerate members. Say that they, they profess Christ, but don't possess Christ. They are filled with uh, recycled hypocrites, whoever bought the best show in town, pretending practitioners that make promises without performance. Many will miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance from their head to their heart. They say, I father on Sunday, but act like orphans the rest of the week. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the deutimus, the power thereof. I mean, beloved, we're living in a day where people won't endure, they won't tolerate, they won't put up with sound doctrine. They won't entertain, they don't like a confrontative, demanding proclamation and explanation of the didactic truth of the Word of God. They'll run to ear ticklers, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, confess it, and possess it. I mean, they love sermonettes that make Christianettes that go outside, smoke cigarettes, try to cover it up with Corvette with Sucrats and drive off with Yvette in a Corvette. But the Bible says that we ought to preach the word in season and out of season. When we feel it, when we're not feeling it. Whether they like it or whether they don't like it. We ought to reprove, we ought to reprove exhort, show them where, to, where they're wrong and uh, help them get right. Colossians 1.28 says, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, 
that we might present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. I submit to you today, we got to stop trying to be politically correct. You see, beloved, when your political ideology or even my cultural ethnicity overrules or is elevated over my biblical authenticity, it snatches my prophetic voice right out of my mouth. That's why a nation's filled with pimps and puppets and very few prophets. You see, beloved, uh, uh, every authentic man of God has to make sure that they're not for sale. And in order to do that, beloved, you got to settle the bread issue. Bread is an African-American colloquialism. Matthew chapter 4, 4 says, man can't live by bread alone. But every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, beloved, uh, the Lord has to be your daily bread. The scripture says uh, in Philippians chapter 4, 19, and my God shall supply all of my need. And when you find out uh, Jesus is really all you got, then you discover he's really all you need according to his infinite resources. I want to have a witness this morning. You see, my daddy on the cattle on the thousand hills, and the hills belong to him also. He made everything and everybody. I can't sell my birthright for a mess of pottage. You see, beloved, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and thumb your nose up at the other. You see, beloved, the problem in our nation today has always been about color, not black or white, green. But you know, the Bible tells me that where your treasure is, your heart going to trot right behind it. And many of us, uh, our hearts are trot beating right in our wallet and our pocketbook. Matthew chapter 16, 26 says, what shall it profit a man? What gain is it if you gain the whole world and die and bust hell wide open? Too many investing. Too many are investing in that which cannot love them back permanently and perfectly. They're in hot pursuit of perishable product, yeah. prestige and position and power and preeminence and prosperity, which by the way, let me let you a secret, all of it got temporary stamped on it. The Bible said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, beware of covetousness. In other words, watch out for greed. He promised to meet your need, not your greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of the things that you possess. In other words, Job put it this way. He said, I came here naked and broke. And except the mortuary practitioner dressed me, when they lower me in the cold clogs of the earth, I'm going back the same way. Think about it, beloved. My last breath was a gift from Almighty God. If God doesn't authorize it, I don't get my next breath. My life is but a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanish away. Matter of fact, I told our church the other Sunday, I'm one thought from crazy. Some of them said, no, you are half a thought. <laughs> Some of them said, no, that broy is gone. That's why my grandmom used to say, Lord, thank you that I'm clothed and in my right mind. You see, beloved, the things that really matter in life you can't pay for. 
I wish I could write you a check for good health. And I'm not guaranteed my next breath. So I figured I might as well go for broke. I figured that really doesn't matter to me now. Because Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ. If I live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. And you know, that's not a bad deal, being with Christ. Many times all we talk about heaven is when somebody dies at a funeral, but to be in the presence of Almighty God. And if they persecute me, if, they, if I suffer down here, and a lot of times suffering is just uh, sharpening my anointing. It's because the Bible talks about the greater the thorn, the greater the anointing. And so I'm, I'm glad to say I'm weak, that the power of Christ can rest upon me. He said, Romans 8, 18, if I suffer down here, that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared. In other words, you can't even formulate a thought in your mental muscle to begin to articulate the glory that he has in store for us. Beloved, we have to be salt on earth. We are the light of the world, but the salt is losing its savor. We uh, have profane preachers and politicians cussing Christians. The book says no unwholesome word should come out of our mouths because we know who we are and whose we are. But today, beloved, we got contaminated salt and concealed light. And I submit to you, beloved, that we need to pass the salt and turn on the light. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that men might see your good works. This is a seeing generation. Many people, the only Bible we read is the life that we live. I want to make sure they're reading Paul and Peter and not Playboy. I, you know, a godly life is convincing testimony. It's an echo of the word of God uh, that, that, that the Bible works. Hallelujah. And that Jesus is alive and doing well. For our, our deliverance is not in a donkey or an elephant. It's not in Washington, but it's in a, a lamb. It's in the lamb of God. I want to have a witness here that taketh away the sin of the world. It's in the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm not looking to Washington for my deliverance. I'm looking to, as Isaiah called him, wonderful. The mighty counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So preacher that is called by God, stand flat foot and tell it like a TIS. For Paul said, judgment is on me if I don't preach the word of God. Beloved, we got to get back to the basics because uh, the text lets us know that Jesus was in the temple and religious folk always come after you. They, they hated Jesus. They were plotting to kill Jesus. And uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33, the Pharisees, uh, who are fair, you see, and the Sadducees, uh, who were sad, you see, uh, and then the Pharisees came at him again. They sent a lawyer, a scribe, uh, to try to, uh, uh, who, uh, one that can articulate and, ca and uh, capsulate the, the law. They set him to trick Jesus. <laughs> they tried to get him to betray Rome when they talked to him about taxes. And Jesus set the record straight. They, then they went to a doctrinal question and 
dealt with the resurrection. And lastly, they tried to get real spiritual and talk about the Ten Commandments and try to turn him against Moses, hoping that they would make Jesus an enemy of Rome and of his own people. But Jesus replied and summarized the whole Decalogue, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, affirming Moses. And verse 38, he says, the greatest commandment is to love God in your totality, with the totality of your being. He said, with all your heart. You know what all means in the Greek and all means in the Hebrew? All means all. <laughs> You'll get that on the way home. <laughs> he said, all my heart, the core of your being, all your soul, the real you, all of your mind, your intellect, and your emotion. That's why you don't trust emotions, because emotions vacillate. You can't trust your emotions. You want to trust the Holy Ghost, that you can respond uh, uh, not to the human, but to the holy. And Mark puts in there, and your strength, uh, all of your physical body, because you do know you got a blood-bought, borrowed body. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that your body is not your own, but you are bought with a price. And the only reason why still God still keeps blood running warm in your vein and giving you the activity and use of your limbs is that you can glorify him, that you can put him on display, that you can advertise him. You were created, we were created for him, by him, to bring him glory. Beloved, we got to get back to the basics. We got to love Jesus. We got to trust his heart even when you're not feeling his hand, when you don't understand his hand. You see, beloved, you're going to have trouble in this life. The Bible says in this eon, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I know somebody that's overcome all of your trouble. If you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. But I'm so glad, beloved, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, that we serve a God of all comfort uh, who comforts us in all of our affliction. In other words, God, uh, he won't allow something to come at you that he won't give you the power to handle it. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, uh, there's no temptation taking you as such common a man, but God is faithful. I wonder if anybody know God is faithful. He will not suffer you. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation. He'll leave the back door open. Uh, he'll make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. God is the great comforter. He's the great encourager. He'll comfort you so that when you're comforted by the great comforter as a comfortee, you take the same comfort you got from the great comforter and comfort another comfortee because you've been comforted by the great comforter. In other words, beloved, uh, the reason why you love him is because he holds you in the palm of his, of your, of his hand. Uh, the Bible said, greater love had no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friend and beloved, uh, God commended his love toward us and that why he demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, beloved, but the love of God constraineth me. It compels me to love everybody. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 says, only fear the Lord and serve him. Why? Consider the great things that he's done for you. What has he done for you? Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgression. 
He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement, which is now our peace, was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He was hung up for our hang-ups. I'm so glad that I got to know him for myself. You see, beloved, in order to love him, you got to know him. You got to know that you know that you know that you've been born again. The Bible says, uh, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He won't even be able to lift up the curtain and peep and see what he missed. And once you get saved, uh, you just don't want him for fire insurance that saved you from hell, but you want him to be Lord of your life. You see, beloved, salvation's a miracle in the moment, but the making of a saint takes a lifetime. Uh, Jimbo Elliott says that you gotta be willing to lose that which you cannot keep in order to gain that which you cannot lose. Uh, in other words, Jesus put it this way, you gotta be willing to, uh, to deny yourself, a daily denial, and take up your cross. The cross is a vehicle of redemption, and follow me. You see, beloved, uh, you got to be careful because in seminary, I know in, when I was in seminary, it was a great temptation to dry up spiritually. That's why, beloved, uh, if you don't spend unhurried, uninterrupted time with Jesus, you're in trouble. You got to be like a deer panting after water in a desert. You got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For that's the only way you're going to be filled. Why would Almighty God create everything and everybody? Why would he create something, Ecclesiastes 2.25, that would satisfy you other than him? For my ministry, your ministry is the overflow of your personal walk with God. In other words, beloved, you got to have the cup under the right fountain. So, and Jesus said, and David said, whenever the Lord, your cup is under the Lord's fountain, he always gives you more than enough. Your cup runneth over. It's the extra that you give to somebody else. We got half empty cups running around trying to get something from somebody else that got a half empty cup. The Psalter said, the Lord got to be your portion. He said, Psalm 62, verse 5, truly my soul waiteth upon thee, O Lord, for my expectation is from him. We got to stop expecting in the horizontal that which you can only get in the vertical. You know, my, my, my wife, my children, my, my, my friends, they can't be what they need to be with, to me without him. So what am I looking at them for? I'm going to trust God that he would provide whoever, whenever, exactly what I need. But I found out, beloved, that when you trust God to meet your need, He'll be your company to keep in the midnight hour. He'll turn your midnight sorrow into daytime rejoicing. I'm going to have a witness. He'll be your bomb in Gilead that will heal your sin-sick soul. Jesus said, this is the most important commandment. Love God. He'll be the solution to your stress. He'll be the antidote to your anxiety. He said, don't be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about a thing. He said, but in everything, instead of worrying about it, pray about it. And then, and then he says, uh, if you don't worry, but pray, you can't worry and pray at the same time. Worry is like a rocking chair. You go back and forth, back and forth. Where are you going in the rocking chair? Nowhere. He said, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. You got to have some worship. You got to thank him, God, for what it is right now, because I'm going to allow you to orchestrate whatever's in my life for my good, uh, but for your glory. He said, uh, by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I'm going to say thank you, God. 
He said, and then the peace come, the arena of God, the calm serene underneath the skin and the unseen realities of life. And it'll guard, he'll send a guard, garrison, he'll put a soldier. That's why I'm not crazy. God got a soldier around my heart and my mind. Hallelujah. He said, you got to love God as I hasten. Then you got to love your neighbor. You got to love your neighbor. If you love God right, you'll be able to love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Anybody in my concentric circle of contact? He said, you got to do the same thing for your neighbor that you would do for yourself. Really, it's the golden rule. Do unto others. And you have them do unto you. You see, our love of God is inextricably linked up in how we treat people. Jesus put it this way, a new commandment, John 13, 34, 35. I know I got a Bible read in the house. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. It's a, it's a non-debatable, non-negotiable issue. It's a command that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Why? But what will happen, this, this is how everybody will know that you are my disciple. You're my mathete. You're my discipline learner. If you love one another, he said, 1 John 4, 8, beloved, term of endearment, inclusive men and women, let us love one another. Agape, supremely sacrifice for one another. Why? Lovers of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, knoweth God. He that loveth not, knows not God. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 20, I don't know how you say you love God and hate your brother. The Bible says God calls you a liar. No, I didn't say that. I didn't call you a liar. God said you're a liar. I just quoted and told it. He wrote it. He said, 1 John 3, 14, if you to get an indicator that you are who you say you are is that you love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. After all, beloved, uh, Genesis 2, 7, all of us were created in the image of God. We got the imagio Deo and the Latin stamped upon us. So even if you don't like my practice, respect my person. He says, Acts 17, 26, all of us come from one blood. And then there's something, beloved, that all of us come from dust. We don't even come from dirt. Dust is right. Anybody like dust? Dust get all up in your eyes. Dust, you got to go back to your apartment or your home and you got to clean it up. Nobody like dust. We ain't but about, thir- dust is worth about 37 cents. And isn't, it, isn't it something that one piece of dust thinks is better than another piece of dust? <laughs> one piece of dust is jealous. Which means I, I, wanna, I wish I had what you had, and envious. I wish you didn't have it at all of another piece of dust. And think about it, beloved. If deity doesn't blow on you, you're going back dust. That's why if I preached it from Detroit to Dallas, from Milwaukee to Montgomery, from Philadelphia to Phoenix. I'm not talking about racial reconciliation because the issue is really not skin. But it's sin. It's a heart matter. And God calls every blood-bought, born-again believer that's been birthed into the body of Christ to a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're about. Helping men and women get right with God. Because they don't even have the capacity to be right with each other if they're not right with God. Romans seven eighteen. in my flesh, I can't do this. Well, there's no good thing. That's why I'm calling all kingdom citizens to a greatest commandment, revival. We're strict, because without strict adherence and obedience to the greatest commandment, we don't have a mission.
Hallelujah. See, the problem today, beloved, we mistake gift for character. Reputation, what to say about me. Character is what I am. Just because I can run you up the wall and you may not know why you went up there, that has nothing to do with being a good Christian, a godly, having a godly life. You see, leadership is a sacred trust. And beloved, my, my grandmom used to say, I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. Otherwise, it's the pot calling the kettle black or one drunk telling another drunk you ought to get sober. sober. It's like I tell you, uh, Dr. Pastor, I make a mean apple pie. You say, Kay, I didn't know you had a knack for the culinary arts. But until you taste it, we're just talking. As James Brown used to sing in my BC days before Christ, you're talking loud but saying nothing. So I know some of you weren't born then. You don't know nothing about that. Amen. And some of you have been saved from the cradle, so you don't know anything about that. You came here, right? But me, I was naughty by nature. I came here uh, in sin and shaped in iniquity. I tell my members, I want you to see my sermon first. So when I stand up to preach, now you have maximum capacity to hear it. That's the platform in which we can proclaim. Ain't no sense in us talking about homosexuality and we putting up with adultery and fornication and everything else. The people sit back and look at it and say, really? You all are talking about morality? See, when we sin and don't stand for righteousness, we give great, as David told nation, you give great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme God. We got to call sin, sin. From the pulpit to the door. From the ceiling to the floor, from the White House to the outhouse, it's still sin. And I'm not getting a whooping from daddy for being implicit in somebody else's sin. He called me to be a prophet to the nations. You see, beloved, because what we do speaks so loud that they can't hear what we say. Beloved, the Bible said in Matthew 18, 15, if you have an odd against your brother, Go to the New York Times. <laughs> Go to the Washington Post. Go to the Philadelphia Daily News. No, I'm in Dallas. Go, what's the name of your paper? Go to the Dallas Morning News. No, he say, if you have an order against your brother, go to your brother by yourself. I want to have a witness. See, beloved, we got to stop airing kingdom business in the media. It's kingdom business. It's family business. And we got, we got to stop blogging and gossiping about each other. The Bible calls it sowing discord among the brethren. Because, beloved, we're all we have. We have the Bible said we have to have the same care for one another. We really do need each other. We ought to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love one another. We're saved by the same Savior. Uh, uh, sanctified and sealed by the same Spirit. And study the same scriptures. And sing the same songs. And can't get along. We're God's provokers, beloved. We are to provoke one another for love and good works. It's time to get back to the basics. That we can come together. I'm coming home, Dr. Patterson. To be a united prophetic voice of the kaleo of God, the assembly of the called, his collective incarnational presence, tabernacling in our own unique personhood, 
loving each other unconditionally, no strings attached, obeying instantaneously and radically, modeling brokenness and humility, leading to inexplicable unity that will push back darkness and uh, usher in a revival in the church. That it might precipitate a spiritual awakening in the land. I like what my grandmom used to sing, that old Negro spiritual, walk together, children, and don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. I want you to know that the same Jesus that was born of a virgin, the same Jesus that lived the perfect and sinless life, the same Jesus that healed the multitudes without medicine, the same Jesus that started the first anti-poverty program off a of little boy's fish and chips. The, first, the same Jesus that suffered under Pontius Pilate. He climbed the hill one Friday. And he hung between a, a soaring heaven and a sitting earth. And he suffered, bled, and he died. Anybody know he died? He died until the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And mercy started flowing like an everlasting stream. He died uh, until Sister Mary and Mary, Mary came running. He died uh, until the centurion said, surely this must be the Son of God. Uh, somebody said he died all night Friday night. And he died all day Saturday. Uh, but early, somebody say early. <laughs> Before the mockingbird began his morning melody, early. Before the earthworm began his trestle march, early. While the dew was still on the roses, he got up from the grave with all power in his hand. We got to get back to the basics because Jesus is coming soon and judgment going to begin at the house of God right here. So the Bible said a trump is going to sound up and the dead gonna get up and we that are alive and remain are gonna be caught up Raphael in the Latin to meet him in the air it's time for the church to stand up and be the church hallelujah father we thank you for allowing us these moments to share these feeble thoughts we pray Lord God that the church would hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Lord, our nation's in trouble. We need you, God. We need to come together. Thank you for Dr. Patterson and for this seminary community that are equipping and training young men and women to be soldiers in the army of the Lord. Thank you for giving us these moments. To your glory, to your honor, in Jesus' name, amen.